Welcome to the Motor City Hoops Podcast, your home for all things Detroit Pistons and NBA. Thank you for choosing Motor City Hoops, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to episode 59 of the Motor City Hoops podcast. In case you are new to the Motor City Hoops podcast, I'm your host, Bryce Simon, former D1 Hooper and current contributor at Detroit Bad Boys of SB Nation. I'm also a husband and father, and on today's episode, I have the pleasure of being joined by a man that has recently joined that fatherhood fraternity, co-host of the Detroit Bad Boys podcast, as well as a site editor and contributor for Detroit Bad Boys, Laz Jackson. Laz, thank you for taking the time to join Motor Motor City Hoops for the second time, and how are Little Chance and Mom doing? Mom and Chance are doing great. Chance is uh, hopefully going to stay asleep throughout <laughs> the entirety of this, and uh, Mom is uh, Mom's downstairs napping. So yeah, everything, uh, everyone's doing great. Thanks for asking, Bryce. Absolutely. And me and Laz were talking a little bit pre-show just about the whole dynamic of all this. And we have, we have it built in in case Little Chance wakes up. We, we know what we're doing um, in case he wakes up while we're recording. So hopefully hopefully the, the little guy stays asleep. But I'm so happy for Laz and his wife and glad they're enjoying parenthood. And uh, if you haven't, followed Laz on Twitter and you get to see a cute little baby that, that they have, uh, that they brought into the world. So, um, But back to today's episode, we'll be giving our thoughts, reactions, and analysis of the last three games and a recap of the last week for the Pistons overall. We're going to get into conversation about Cade Cunningham's first NBA action, what we have seen from the second year players on the roster, and I might even be issuing an apology to one of them. Offensive struggles for this team and our tanking and top five picks storylines we'll be talking about again all season long. We'll also spend just a little time around the NBA on the news and surprises dominating the association as a whole. And just real quick, a heads up guys, we will be referencing each game, but we're not going to go through this game by game. For those specific game recaps, I'll be doing as many as I can um, whenever I'm able to watch the game live. And the first one of those will be coming up Thursday night after the Sixers game. But Laz, let's get into this. Cade Cunningham finally played. What were your initial thoughts and reactions to his, uh, his debut? I thought he looked good. Um, I was a little disappointed that he wasn't able to contribute more offensively. Um, but I loved the, the way that things felt under control with him at the helm in, in the first half in particular. Um, I didn't love that he only played 19 minutes, even though they told us he was going to be on a minutes restriction. Um, but I, I still would have liked him play to see him play down the stretch of, uh, of a game that ended up being closer than it probably should have been, but uh, still ended up fine uh, as the Pistons beat the Magic. Um, I think he looks good. I think, he, uh, I think the shots will eventually fall, and will eventually, as the minutes restriction gets lifted, we'll get to see like, more of what makes Cade Cade. But uh, yeah, that was not the uh, that wasn't uh, the so uh, Keith Black on Twitter uh, uh, referenced the fact that it's been like it's been like forty years to the day to Isaiah uh, Thomas's debut for the Detroit Pistons, and of course Isaiah Thomas had like thirty points and eleven assists, and it was like Cade's okay, probably not gonna do that, but uh, you still kind of held out hope that that might happen, then it didn't. But it's like you know what, a win's a win. Well, it's just fine. 
Yeah, that's what I think one thing you brought up there as you were talking about, which I did find that uh, very interesting. And you got to love Keith Black Trudeau. Again, another follow on Twitter. If you guys aren't following that guy, you need to. Pistons historian. And then obviously with the current roster as well. But you talked about Cade being under control. And I was re-watching the game a little bit and just some highlights and some clips. And it just seems like everything is so much more calm when the ball is in his hands. And we'll talk about Killian Hayes, Laz. And this isn't a knock on Killian Hayes. But with Cade, like I just feel more comfortable setting here as a fan watching the game and and so you said it is that kind of what you felt too like just the offense looked more fluid in rhythm etc and everybody else around him looked more confident did you feel like he had that effect on the team I did I did I think uh just like another confident ball handler in the starting lineup definitely does that for the team right we we're seeing a lot of like Sadiq Bey uh, stretched the bounds of what we thought he was capable of as a ball handler or, you know, what he did last year as a ball handler. We're seeing, you know, Jeremy Grant still kind of test those same boundaries. Um, you know, Killian has, is getting, like, assigned some of that, but is still kind of, like, trying to limit test a little bit and get comfortable. Again, it's, like, you know, less than half a season for Killian or whatever. Uh, but Cade seemed pretty confident, you know, even... Uh, in the shots that he took, they didn't go in, but you never felt like he was taking any bad shots. Uh, you, when the ball moved kind of better in the first half around him, uh, you always felt like like good things were on the cusp of happening. The Pistons just, like, as as the story has been for the Pistons so far this season, they just didn't make open looks. Yeah, I mean, and we'll talk about that shooting and that offensive offensive rhythm as we move throughout the episode. But yeah, the shots are going to fall for Cade Cunningham, like you just said, with hopefully with everybody else. And I think just his gravity in general, the attention he draws. There's one play I kind of talked about with somebody on Twitter where he actually set a screen, or no, he was coming off a, a pin down from Stewart to the corner, and both guys went to him, and Isaiah Stewart gets a wide open layup at the rim, and it's just that gravity on and off ball that I think helps the offense. But I want to talk about two other aspects, and that's his rebound rebounding in his defense and and I realize I can be very very biased whenever it comes to this team and especially Cade Cunningham but I thought the rebounding was good I love it defensively because then he can start the break but I actually thought he was better defensively especially kind of at the point of attack than what I thought he would be maybe it was the level of competition I don't know what did you think about one or both of those areas as you watched him play I thought he was amazing off the ball there was a, a really like there was a textbook closeout against uh, Jalen Suggs in the third quarter that completely blew up a possession, right? And, like, that's the type of thing that doesn't get captured in the box score. But, you know, coaches notice. And when, you know, the team doesn't score two points, that's also pretty noticeable. And it was so it was so apparent to me because, like, later in the game, Josh Jackson had, like, a blow-by closeout on Jalen Suggs, and it resulted in, like, a corner three. And it's just, like, that's that's the difference right there between, like, you know, Cade being uh, uh, already like a league, uh, a, like good NBA off-ball defender, and like Josh Jackson, like not taking the proper angle on a closeout. It was just, it was just really apparent. And obviously, you know, you had the highlight with uh, shutting down Franz Wagner and getting on the floor, uh, getting the the twenty-four second violation. Like that was that was pretty cool. That's very gritty. You know, you know, the crowd's gonna love that. Um, but yeah, he was just. Uh, and the other thing that really stood out to me was that. Um, so Jalen Suggs is 6'4". I think Cole Anthony is like 6'2". It's like Killian and Cade are 6'5", and 6'7", 6'6". It's like they're it, even on the screen, right? Like not even at the game. Even on screen, it's just very apparent. That's a very big backcourt, right? And that enables you to do a lot of things defensively, just like in terms of, in terms of switching, in terms of like being able to uh, play, uh, 
play certain in in certain areas and like passing lanes and stuff with uh with bigger defenders it was like not necessarily worrying about um you know switching Stewart out onto the perimeter because a guy like Kane or a guy like Killian can come in and box out and get the rebound is, is like that stuff uh, I know we're we're all kind of mad Cade's not 6'8 as advertised but like he the size still comes into play especially when he plays in the backcourt and so like yeah, I was I was really impressed with what Cade brought on the defensive end yeah I agree I think that defensive versatility that Cade brings is huge and then as we move on to Killian Hayes I, I think it's the same thing with him you brought you know the, we talk about his body transformation and what we want to see him utilize it on the offensive end but I think it shows up is going to show up even more and has at times on the defensive end because that added bulk and muscle is going to allow him to be even more switchable so let's just start with the defensive aspect of Killian Hayes and then we'll move into the offense I know people want to hear that and get uh, you know your thoughts on that and, and I have some thoughts on it as well. But let's just start with the defensive end because, again, he's another guy who I think has been really good on the defensive end. I think off-ball he's been solid. We've seen point-of-attack defense be been good. What uh, what have you thought about Killian Hayes just specifically on the defensive end through the first part of the season? I've been I've been pretty pleased. Uh, obviously, like he just he's coming off a five-steal game, right? So that's, that's kind of fresh in the mind as to the, the kind of impact he has uh, on and off the ball. But I think like defensively right now is where Killian's like basketball feel is showing up the most because he's doing a great job like uh, like xing out on shooters, uh, getting into passing lanes, and or kind of anticipating like where the basketball is going to go and like going into passing lanes from there. I'm thinking of um, I'm thinking of a steal he got uh, last night against Brooklyn in particular where he just like. He was just kind of he was just in the right place at the right time, but it was because he uh, was standing, you know, maybe like a step and like a one point two five steps away from a shooter that like I wouldn't have helped off of, but like because he was there, he was able to get a steal, and so like that's uh, like that's kind of worth it. Um, on ball, I've been I've been pretty happy. I mean, Cole Anthony kind of took it to him, uh, and so like that wasn't that wasn't amazing. And then he, you know, the we're we're not talking about the offense, and he tried to give it back to Cole Anthony, and that also didn't go amazing. But I think like he's very clearly much better as a defensive player than as an offensive player right now, and uh, like that's that's just kind of where we are with that. Okay, so you brought it up, the offense. You're making these transitions really easy for me, Laz. I appreciate it very much. <laughs> no problem, so yeah. r- right into the offense for Killian Hayes, and that's where a lot of the heat's coming from, right? You don't see mm-hmm. a lot of people on Twitter complaining about Killian Hayes' on-ball defense or his help defense or any of that stuff. And whether it was good or indifferent, you probably wouldn't anyway. But offensively, what have you seen? I know for me, just real quick, I've seen baby, baby, baby steps from the first game of the year, and I know we're early in his career. I've preached patience. I'm going to have patience with Killian Hayes. I want to see it for 82 games. But from another guy who has huge basketball mind and IQ and watches all these games, are you seeing the baby steps? Are you seeing steps, enough of the steps? And do you still have plenty of belief that Killian Hayes is going to eventually get there? So I do have plenty of belief that Killian Hayes is going to get there. And I do see the baby steps. Um, But like like you can look at the box score and you can look at basketball reference and you can see that he's not... He has not been like amazing to start the year, obviously. Um, prior to the Brooklyn game, and I know this stat because I looked it up for my podcast yesterday. Uh, he was shooting forty-four percent on zero dribble, aka like catch and shoot threes for the year. Um, I think that I think that probably went down. I think he missed his only catch and shoot 
uh, three against uh, Brooklyn last night. I'd have to check, but uh, like so, and that, so that is a very like marked improvement um, in like what he was capable of uh, as a shooter, as a standstill shooter. Which is like you know, he's, if he's going to be a point guard, he's going to have the ball in his hands a lot. That's prob- maybe not going to be like the primary way he shoots threes. But on the other hand, if he's playing next to another primary ball handler in Cade Cunningham, say, is like maybe that's one of the ways he brings value is being able to uh, consistently knock down uh, open shots. Um, the other thing is I think I think he's getting a little bit better with you leveraging his body. I think the like the very early examples against Chicago of him kind of uh, leaning away from contact and shying away from contact around the rim. Um, he's, he's done a better job of that in the last like three or so games. He had a very nice finish uh, around Kevin Durant last night. He had um, some, he had a really nice finish uh, against, or he would have had a nice finish in the Philadelphia game if not for the Kelly Olenek offensive foul. Um, he had a nice floater against Atlanta. Uh, he, he And against Brooklyn, he went into James Johnson uh, and missed the shot uh, in the second half. But he actually, like, went into the he, – he didn't shy as much away from the contact. He went kind of straight up instead of fading, you know, away into his left. Um, and I thought, like, even though he missed the shot, I was happy that, you know, we saw progress in terms of him being willing to accept the contact, you know. Um he, you know, again, like the the shots missed. It's like no one cares. But like that's that's the baby steps that I see. But I, w- I wanted to ask you, Bryce, what we haven't seen a lot of from Killian is like what made him special to me right away, which was the passing. And part of that is because of the offense that we see the Pistons running. And so, like, do you think we'll do you think we'll still be able to see um, a lot of like those those high pick and roll or those? Uh, those you know cross court reads that make Killian so appealing uh, made him so appealing as a prospect. If the Pistons continue to kind of run this uh, isolation heavy, uh, allegedly like motion based offense, no, I mean that's going to be tough, right? And so that is one thing I've missed. You bring up the the pick and roll and the ball screen, and he is he was really good in those reads because of his vision. I think so. I have a hard time with this because as a at a completely different level. I love this motion kind of read react offense. And I think high level passers can look good in it, but what they have to do is have high level off ball movers that are moving to the right spot, if that makes sense. And so, you know, like right now it seems like people are stagnant and just standing a lot. So you're not going to get those reads because if you don't get a guy cutting to the rim out of this type of offense, then there's not forcing a help defender, whether, okay, do I pass it to the cutter or do I skip that cross court pass to the corner that you're talking about? because that man's that guy's man has helped off so I mean I still I always go back to this I just want to see him play faster Laz like I want to see him play more in transition I know that starts with getting stops and defensive rebounds and going and I think that's where we could see his high level passing come back into play and I think right now I need to watch closely I'm glad you brought this up because I've watched so I paid such close attention to his ability to finish and attacking the rim I haven't watched the passing quite as much I there's some I did the breakdown I did for Detroit bad boys I tried to highlight it a little bit but I, I think we have taken our eyes off of that. But man, like, do you think we've gone away from that high screen and roll? Because I mean, Co- Olenek's obviously going to be a popper. 
I'm not sure Isaiah Stewart's necessarily comfortable in it yet. Do you think that's the why we've gone away from it, or this was always the plan? I think that's definitely some of it, right? I think uh, Stewart is like a nice pick and roll finisher, um, and like a, a nice like short roll option, but like that's not his game. And and this is me going back to my jumpy jump guy, right? Like <laughs> yes, if, yes. If if the Pistons had like a vertical lob threat, I think the the threat of some of these high pick and rolls. Um, would be a lot more uh, pronounced and to be honest like playing high pick and roll with the with a lob threat um, not maybe not like a super vertical lob threat but like a lob threat nonetheless is something Killian has like a lot of experience in because that was he was that's what he was doing in Germany with um right like they, they were playing like uh, they're playing like Gavin Schilling and stuff and he's still like you know hitting guys on lobs because teams had to respect them as a roller because like that's the level of competition he was up against um I, I think he's still getting used to like not having that always be uh, a consistent option for him and like that's part of the that's going to have to be like part of the growth you see from him um from the outset but like on the other hand you're like you're absolutely right that like uh, if nobody's like you know making any like flare screens or anything for for corner shooters like it's going to be harder to make that cross-court pass in the first place yeah and I guess off the top when you said this I I came back to a play of Kate Cunningham's where like the guys around him have to realize how good these passers are and then be willing to see the same thing the passers are seeing so in my head I envisioned this play where uh, Isaiah Stewart had a cut down the middle of the lane and he was super late with it now the he ended up catching the pass but Kate is already throwing it before Isaiah Stewart even realizes he's open and so I think that's what if you're running this kind of free-flowing motion offense it it requires everybody to kind of have that high basketball IQ, if that makes sense. Like you can't run this that type of offense just because Killian and Kate are really good passers. Well, Jeremy Grant has to know the right spot to be in, and Isaiah Stewart has to know where he needs to move, and Josh Jackson has to cut at the right time. Like Hami has to, you know, cut at the right time. Like all those things have to work together, and it takes a lot of a long time to develop that chemistry, which is another thing we'll talk about. So I think that will be very interesting to watch. Laz is uh, uh, as off ball movers and cutters and flares and hammers to the corner do these guys get comfortable with that because I believe you have the two passers and even Sadiq Bey has shown this ability uh, here early in the season to get the ball to them when they need it and where they need it yeah and I and your point about experience is like is a great one and like that is part of why they're playing all four of these dudes together like right now right like i know it, it's only if we're what five games into the year six games into the year it's like this is going to be a process and it's like we we have to continue to like play these guys together so they develop that chemistry right can't get frustrated um can't just like you know change the starting lineup in order to win uh, or be more competitive in some of these games like no this is what's best for the pistons in the long term right so I have I want to stay with this and this is what happens and I love it when we do this. We're going to get way off the outline and that's okay. So that's why we have our guy Wes here taking notes for me because then I can't write the post you know the post episode write ups off the outline. That's okay. So I may be crazy here. So if I'm crazy, like listen, you can come on the Motor City Hoops podcast and be like Bryce, that's a stupid idea. But like I've I've <laughs> I wondered <would> never. like <laughs> well you can or at least text me afterwards and like that was a stupid comment. But 
I've thought, like, what about Jeremy Grant in that pit as a screener? Like, and I, I understand, trust me, I get it. If you haven't played that a lot, there's a lot of art and nuance to being in the ball screen. Like, you can't just say, like, hey, you're strong, you're tall, you're athletic, you can jump and catch a lob. Like, you go do that. There's a lot to it. So I'm not saying it would be easy, but would you mind them trying to use someone like him? Because to me, Jeremy's the ultimate. He can pick and pop. He could pick and roll and catch a lob. Like, he could even get, like, a short roll and then shoot a little, you know, eight to 10 footer. What would you think about them trying to, you know, maybe that's thinking outside the box a little bit, but using someone like him in that spot. Yeah, I don't, I would, I, that's not something I've really thought about. And I, I wonder if like Jeremy sees himself as the guy who like doesn't have to do that any anymore. Right. Because he's made such strides as an on ball creator. But I, I think that could work if you pitched it to him as like, here's how we get you, you know, like more open looks and easier looks. I was thinking more about like running Jeremy Grant off some like Isaiah Stewart pin downs, right? Created, you know, because the Jeremy Grant is like pretty good with an advantage and he's gotten better at creating that advantage, but he doesn't, uh, but it, like if, if uh, you give him the ball in like an isolation situation, he's not like, the fastest or like the best ball handler in the NBA and so like you you see the types of shots he's able to get now he can still get to his pull up but like uh, you can't always get to the rim without an advantage but like with the advantage of a screen with the advantage of a guy who knows in like a Cade or a Killian who like knows good passing angles and the, the velocity to hit a guy coming off a pin down like I think you could see a lot of success doing something like that I agree and that's what I, I really I knew we were going to play through the mid post this year a little bit more or I guess I shouldn't say I know I kind of anticipated that from watching preseason and different things and and I think we have personnel to do that but I didn't realize it was going to be the straight isolations that we're right. seeing right now with no weak side action and maybe there's supposed to be weak side action like it's real easy to say why is Dwayne Casey just putting him on the backside well maybe somebody's supposed to cut but the guys on the backside just don't know which one is supposed to cut or when or they think they're going to get in the way but I would like to see Jeremy Grant and and what you're talking about. So let's talk about Jeremy Grant. There's been a little chatter recently that maybe he hasn't taken the step forward that we all hoped he would. I think he's trying to do a little too much with his wiggle. I always use that term wiggle. I don't know if that's right or not. Hopefully everybody knows what I'm talking about, but I think he has enough wiggle when he needs it, but he's almost going to it too much. Like I want to see him square a guy up if he doesn't have the advantage you're talking about, one dribble pull up or straight line drive was possibly one move to get to the rim. What are your thoughts on Jeremy Grant so far in this season? Yeah, no, I agree. I think he needs to be more decisive. I, I do think he kind of over relies on that wiggle, uh, to use your word, because of uh, like that's kind of how he's, he's learned it. Um, but I think uh, it'll be like an important philosophical thing for him to learn is that he can win a little bit easier with like fewer dribbles, right? Um, one so and like I did this earlier, like I tweeted out like his slash line without like really thinking about it. It's just like ah, he's shooting twenty five percent from three, like that's not great. But then uh, I also like took a look and the like one of the big things. Well, we saw like an area of growth for Jeremy Grant last season was like his willingness to take like off the dribble threes but that was also like one of the most that was one of his least efficient shots I think we've we've seen a like for now we see a really big improvement in that he's taken like the vast vast majorities of his threes this season have been catch and shoot threes right we've seen a lot him get a lot of corner threes which i like again that's the easiest shot and uh that's the easiest three-pointer to take and so far he's just hit them 
at an extremely low percentage, right? This could just be like, this could be a six game blip. Uh, he comes out and he's like, you know, we look up in 25 games and he's shooting his normal, you know, 35, 36, 37% from three. And this is fine. But I think uh, as long as the, the vast majority of his threes continues to be uh, the, of like the catch and shoot variety, I think he figures this thing out. And yeah. then, yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to. Uh, yeah, I think he figures it out. And like I said, there's a lot of guys we got to hope are going to figure out these catch and shoot three situations. Like Frank Jackson is a guy who I think real quick here he wasn't he wasn't even on the outline, but let's go with it. Um, he he was a guy. I feel like is kind of taking tougher shots than what he needs to. He is one guy who I think is taking shots kind of outside what his role or his successful role is. Jeremy's not. That's a great point you brought up with. He's getting catch and shoot threes. He's going to make those. It's not like he's trying to take a whole bunch of threes off the dribble. Are you seeing the same thing with Frank Jackson in terms of like... I was super high on Frank Jackson too, lads. Like I wanted to see him, you know, get minutes and get shots and thought he was going to be a great off the bench scorer, but it just hasn't looked very fluid so far. Yeah, it's been it's been tough for Frank. Uh, I I think over the last couple of games he started pressing a little bit. Um, I remember in particular like the second half of Atlanta. It seemed just like so apparent that the halftime message to Frank was like, "Keep shooting. We need you to keep shooting. Like just go take some shots." And he like took that to heart, and he <laughs> and he went like he went like you know two for seven, and it's like maybe maybe that wasn't the message we needed for Frank, but I like I I do think the shots fall for him eventually, but uh, yeah it's it's been uh, it's been a tough sledding for him going in uh, to these first couple games. So let's go to another guy who maybe you know struggled a little bit, and and I think we had very high expectations for his three point shooting. That's Sadiq Bay. So he's kind of been up and down so far. We've seen some games where he obviously figured it out, and I don't. I think he's at least if if anybody did have any worries about you know last year not being his true ability shooting ability, I think he squashed those now. Like I think he's going to be fine as a shooter. I think there was concerns like how did he spend too much time trying to work on his you know, his post-up game and his mid-range game and off-the-dribble game and all of those things. And we've seen him, you know, a four-for-nine night, three-for-eight a couple times this season from three. So I think the three-point shot's going to be there for Sadiq Bey. But I want to talk about those other areas. And this is, you know, I kind of alluded to in the preview or the intro that I kind of, I mean, not that it matters, but I kind of owe Sadiq Bey an apology. I, I, I boxed him into a three and D guy, Laz. I thought, he was probably closer to his ceiling coming out of Villanova um, than a lot of these other guys. I didn't think there was a huge jump in growth. And I've been 100% wrong, at least what it looked like through the first six games. Have you been impressed as what I, I am in terms of all the other things he's added to his game, especially offensively? Definitely, definitely. Um, I think, like, Sadiq, I'm much more able to forgive his, uh, his drop in efficiency just because, like, the... the if he ever gets efficient at the stuff he's doing right now is like that is the that is the type of player that like every team is looking for right and so you're willing to for uh, forgive a lot more of the growing pains in order to get um you know another like six eight shot creating uh like shot creator with like light playmaking ability for others right like every, every team could use could use who can also like hit open threes like that, that's that's a great nba player to have and, and who doesn't suck on defense right like i just keep adding <laughs> things because like just just to show you like how valuable that type of player uh, could uh, is and the type of player sadiq could be um one one thing i've really been impressed with sadiq is uh 
because he's not, he's no longer a rookie, and I feel like he's allowed to use his strength a little bit more. He's been able to get to the free throw line. I think that's huge for efficiency. You know, right now he's only shooting, I think, 70% from the free throw line. Um, and, like, that's obviously going to have to come up to where it was last year in the eighty and in, in the 80s. But, uh, like, that's that's one way to just get easy baskets is to is to convert your free throws. And having another guy that gets to the free throw line uh, is is great for uh for like any team and yeah it's just the thing my thing with Sadiq is uh he's been getting a lot of these like left block isolation possessions or he was getting a lot of them in the first couple of games what I'd like to see a little bit more are a couple like one dribble pull-ups right because guys are closing out on him hard because you know the the scout on him is he's a really good three-point shooter and you have to close hard on that guy and so if he's willing to like let guys blow by take one dribble and like come in he's like i think that's a that's a shot he can hit and that doesn't involve him dribbling like eight times and then like throwing his shoulder into a guy and like creating space and it's just it's just less work for a shot that I think is like roughly of equal quality, right? Like we, we saw those like reverse pivot turnarounds in summer league. He hit like one of those against Chicago. And like, those are, those are very pretty shots. But it's like, if you, if you do that a lot, like that's, that's not going to work uh, often. Uh, that's, that's not going to be an efficient shot like all the time either. And so I'd like to see him just like Jeremy. I'd like to see Sadiq try and win a little simpler on occasion but like I'm much more forgiving of like the drop in efficiency for Sadiq. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a great point. I like that, you know, just use that shot fake, the three point shooting, you know, to get you just an easy one dribble, two dribble pull up. And yeah, I'm like you, I get caught up and the, the, the footwork and the fadeaway and the up and under and the, you know, the reverse spin back. And, and I love all that stuff, but it, it can be done easier, you know, but you, we, we talk about efficiency, but the crazy thing is Laz. So he's dropped his three point shooting percentage right now by 6% on the same number of attempts, but his total field goal attempts is up almost five and he's shooting a higher overall field goal percentage this year, which I think speaks to how, not good he was from two point last season yeah but but that he has shown an improvement and what I love also is that the passing numbers have doubled in terms of assists and I think even if you don't look at assists you can see it when you watch the game and his rebounding numbers have been really good too I, I love seeing oh, yeah, him his on the board has been amazing yeah. yes that, that but, that's been huge yeah well the, and the the improvement at the the improvement at the at the and his field goal percentage is coming at like a cost though, right? Because his true shooting percentage is down from like 57-ish percent to like 52-ish percent. And so like, you know, some of that's the free throws. Um, but, uh, you know, some of that, the 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 regression in three-point shooting so far is just like so, uh, it's, not, it's not good from an efficiency standpoint. And so it's like, I'm I'm happy with Sadiq. I'm happy with what Sadiq's done. I would still I would love to get that guy who shot like 38 percent from three back. That would be no, great. No <laughs> doubt. I I agree with that 100. percent I guess I just feel like that per, that shoot that three point percentage is gonna get there. I guess that's true. I feel and, like that too. And, and maybe it won't. Like it'll be very interesting. I think it will be interesting to watch to see. I feel like whenever I tracked last season, like the top 20. Um, rookie NBA seasons in terms of three-pointers made there were like quite a few that all of a sudden didn't end up being like what you would call like big time three-point shooters or like that was the best season they had in terms of three-point makes for their career which I, I thought was interesting and for anybody listening I have no reason or rationale for that 
but it, it will be interesting. I think it is something to follow and just just to see because like you say in terms of true shooting percentage and you know overall efficiency you know that three-point percentage um, we want to keep up there closer to 40 obviously than 30 but I want to get into um, just a little bit with the lineups and the chemistry we've talked about offensive rhythm and making shots and all that and I just how much do you so in the first six games we've had five different starting lineups I believe the first two games of the season we started with the same starting lineup and then it's been different since Cade's been in for one game out Jeremy missed a game we've seen obviously different guys have filled those roles which then messes with the second unit like do you think that's a lot of the offensive woes and the shooting issues or is there something else that you've seen? I know we've talked a little bit about like the isolation motion heavy offense from Dwayne Casey. Yeah, I've, I've, I think the isolation heavy offense is more of a culprit. I think the lineup instability like definitely doesn't help. Uh, and I think like uh, you, can, you can, yes, the Magic are really bad. But like when Cade Cunningham plays more games, this offense is probably going to look better. Just as like just by virtue of adding another guy we think is going to be like a high 30s three-point shooter on like pretty good volume right and so like i think like building chemistry is important but it's most important to build chemistry with the guy who hasn't been in the lineup so far the least in cade cunningham and so it's like let's let's focus on building chemistry like with cade but so like let's let's fix the the isolation heavy offense first and then, like, then have Cade come in and, like, build the chemistry with the rest of the guys. That's how I'm thinking about it. You could tell, I could totally be wrong, Bryce. No, no, I agree. What about, what from the second unit, now that we've kind of seen who that second unit is going to be, who, who have you been impressed with there? Who are you a little nervous about? And that whole wing rotation that it looks like Hami's the odd man out right now. What are, what are your thoughts about kind of that second unit? So the the Team Canada connection has been uh, has been really strong. The uh, the like the like nerdy thing that's been that stood out to me the most about the bench lineups is like the big to big passing between Kelly Olynyk and Trey Lyles. <laughs> yes, it's just like that's that's been good for like a layup a game. And every time it happens, I'm like, oh, that's fun. Like I didn't expect that. That's great. Um, but yeah, like the just it's very clear that Corey Joseph, Kelly Olenek, and Trey Lyles have like a degree of familiarity, a degree of chemistry. We were just talking about chemistry, a degree of chemistry uh, playing together that like comes through and like helps them uh, like be more aware of like what each other is capable of on the basketball court, and like that's that's helped the bench I think a lot. And I think you've you've seen Dwayne uh, take great pains to try and like keep that bench lineup together. Yes, yes. right. <laughs> uh, and I think I think he sees that and he knows that like uh, like how important that is for the team. And so like uh, it, it's been interesting to kind of watch him preserve that at the expense of uh, some of the other lineup stuff, but. Uh, but yeah, I've just been I've been really impressed by the the trio of uh, Corey Joseph, Kelly Olenek, and Trey Lyles. I had to issue a formal apology to Trey Lyles that that was unfortunate. But he's been he's been really he's been really solid this year in in a manner I didn't expect. Yeah, I I love that, and I won't go listen to Detroit Bad Boys podcast to get that formal apology. And I do real quick. I just want to say, make sure you guys go listen to that podcast. And Laz, like I just want to say, like. Thank you for allowing Motor City Hoops to become part of that feed and like a part of that family or, or however we want to say it. Like that meant a lot to me and Wes and Motor City Hoops that we get to be a part of 
you know, we've been a part of Detroit Bad Boys with with that, but now with the podcast, like it meant it meant a lot that you you know you guys took us on officially for that, and it's been great for the podcast after just one episode. But I did want to, or I do want to tell you thank you. I haven't had a chance, or I haven't done it yet. I, I should have done it already, but I just want to oh, thank no, you for that. No, I'm I'm I'm. We were we are totally happy to have you, right? Like I I think it's really important for uh, I think it's I think it's great that like there's a like a one stop shop for for pistons like quality pistons podcast analysis i'm gonna say i'm gonna tell you the same thing i tell everybody else who does like a pistons podcast it's like there is there's so much hunger for pistons podcast like content that's like i never feel like i'm in like competition with anybody like i'm i'm like this can be one big happy family and like i'm i'm so happy that you're happy with with uh with the addition to detroit bad boys and you've been an amazing addition to detroit bad boys so you know pat yourself on the back give yourself some credit man well no thank you thank you and i i agree like that's what i've come to find we can all be get along and be friends and just grow and grow together as this team grows together but so Moving on from that now, I just wanted to throw that in there. But yeah, Kelly Olynyk's been really good, and I, I I love seeing him in the second unit. I haven't been right about very much. I usually am not, especially with this offseason. But I did like the idea of him being in the second unit because I thought it would kind of be the glue that kept that second unit together. And it seems to me like that's been the case. And but I, at the same time, I can see him finishing a lot of games with the starters whenever oh, the yeah, games absolutely. are close. He, Don't you think? Yeah, he definitely should be finishing uh, games. And we saw that in the Philadelphia game, right? We saw how, you know, we saw how much more the floor opened up for everybody else in the last seven minutes of that game when Kelly Olenek was pulling Joel Embiid, like, away from the basket. And how that, what that did for for everybody else on the floor, for Killian, for Sadiq, for Jeremy, is it just, it mattered a lot. And so I definitely think, like, for the precious few close games we see the Pistons play this season like Kelly Olenek will be on the floor at the end of those so I have a question and you I know we haven't seen Kate a lot but I'm not trying to I hate doing this because I have no issues with Dwayne Casey like no major issues it's just small little things do you have any issues or would you like to see him quote unquote stagger I would call our three big guys right now would be Sadiq, Jeremy Grant, Cade Cunningham. It really bothered me that game that like all three of those guys would end up off the floor for like a five minute stretch and the entire second units on the floor at the same time uh, to start the second quarter for the first four or five minutes. Maybe it's not that big a deal. I realize we're still rebuilding. I realize we're not very good and we're not going to win a ton of games. I understand all of that. But still, you kind of just talked about Cade Cunningham and the offense and how everything needs to be like planned. Like to me, that's what we're going to do or that's what we need to do. Do you, do you have any issues with that? Do you feel the kind of the same sentiment I do or am I just like overthinking this way too much? I I did think we would see like in particular Caden Killian stagger. Yes, right? yeah. Like I I thought we would definitely see that. Um, I think we will in the future. Like Dwayne Casey said, uh, you know we're gonna see some Kelly Olynyk Isaiah Stewart lineups, and we have that hasn't been like the main thing they do, but we've seen that lineup look on occasion, right? He he said like we're gonna stagger Caden Killian preseason, and you know Cade's only played 19 minutes, so like I fully expect we we will see that sometime in the future. Um, but yeah, but that that's the thing, right? Like Cade's played so little, it's been hard to get a grasp on like what they think the best way to deploy him is. And so, like, you know, we're still kind of left speculating. But I do think that's – I think that's valuable. I think your instinct is right. 
And I think that that's something we do kind of eventually see. Yeah, and that's some of the other games, it was like, I can't remember what game it was, but it was Josh Jackson, Sadiq Bey, and Jeremy Grant. And I felt like it was, a, it, was one of, it was a good Josh Jackson game. And I was like, why is one of those three not on the floor? Like, you know, I, I don't know. I, I just, maybe I overthink it too much and, you know, worry about that stuff too much. I realize what this season is still, and, and you know, we're not going to win a ton of games. And so with that, the, the the tank or what this team is trying to do or whatever it is, be just blew up Pistons Twitter last night, Laz. And so if you guys are coming to listen to this, I'm sorry that we didn't get into it until 40 minutes into the episode. But um, I, I'm not too much in, into it. But what, what are your thoughts? Like, I don't know if you followed all this conversation, like, but with. You know, it seemed like Hisson's fans were upset, like we're purposely trying to lose, and there's this whole Cade Cunningham ankle conspiracy theory going on. Like, can I just get your general thoughts on, on everything that blew up last night? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I think that there is no, like, grand conspiracy about Cade Cunningham's ankle. I think they are being probably slightly protective of their number one overall pick which is completely understandable when like you're trying to hold on to the guy for like eight years and like a couple playoff runs right like you this, like the, these games in uh november like don't matter so it's like it's it's kind of whatever um i think it is i think it's really interesting that people there was so there's a lot of optimism that people thought we'd be like a play-in team like this year and i think like a lot of that is based around the idea that like hey we've got the number one overall pick the number one overall pick is normally like uh, a really good impactful nba player right away we won a bunch of games we weren't supposed to last year it's like oh we'll just we'll do that again and we'll have Cade this time and we'll win some of these like close games that we lost last year and i think that like that you can you can tell yourself that story but i think that was that that story kind of misses a lot of the context that like other stuff happened around this team, right? They they decided to start, you know, four rookie or like four sec three second year players and a rookie in the starting lineup. It's like probably not going to win a lot of NBA games like that. They lost a lot of like valuable ball handling experience and like Derrick Rose and Delon Wright. Like I like I know Delon Wright did not like cover himself in glory as a Detroit Piston, but like he was an eminently capable like you know slightly below average starting point guard and like right now like Killian Hayes isn't even that and Corey Joseph hasn't played well like uh, you know what I mean like <laughs> yeah. as, as the vet second unit point guard and the guy I was in favor of bringing back and I thought played well last year has not played very well up to this point you know along with all the other things you're talking about yeah it's just like like I thought they might win like 27 28 games and I thought like that would be that would be I think an improvement in like and rate of games that they were like supposed to win over last year but i also thought a lot of that would come because they wouldn't tank as hard as they at like the end of uh as a as they did at the end of last season i thought you know like i don't expect Cade to miss the last like 15 games like jeremy grant missed the last 15 games for example and so like i think if Cade plays um, you know, the if he, if he plays like a full seventy game season, um, like maybe you know some minor another like minor injury crops up, but like if he's playing games in like March and April, um, like the Pistons are going to be able to, and he's learned and he's been able to kind of build on some of these losses in uh, November December, 
the Pistons are going to like sneak up and bite some teams that are like just trying to make it to the end of the season, right? But like that's four months, that's four or five months away right now, and it just kind of looks bad. And so I was really happy that the Pistons were able to get the win against Orlando because <laughs> yes. you don't want to start the season like 0 and 9. You, yeah, well, you just kind of don't. Hopefully, we win Tuesday night against the Bucks because right before we started recording, I think it was Rod Beard that tweeted out all the players that are out and the players that are doubtful, and it doesn't still be honest. Giannis, I think, was doubtful or questionable. I can't, I don't, oh, okay. don't hold me to that, but I think, like, I think Drew and Mid- Holiday and Milton were both out already. Yeah. And yeah. then Giannis and a couple, of, like, even Grayson Allen, like, maybe they were questionable. Maybe it's not doubtful. Maybe they were questionable, but so. They still played Utah, like, relatively tough last night. And so. Yeah. With yeah. Giannis, though. Giannis was playing in that one, though, right? Oh, okay. Yeah, I yeah think, he did play. I think. So it'll be interesting. Yeah, if Giannis plays, then obviously it's a, a whole other story. But, yeah, I think I was that optimistic fan. And I do think if if the Pistons would have played a full 82-game season last year, their like rate win rate would have got them to 22 or 23. So I was one of those like, hey, we're going to get to 30. We weren't even trying to win games last year. And, you know, we had Cade Cunningham, Kelly Olynyk's a quote-unquote upgrade over Mason Plumlee, which, you know, we could debate. But, I mean, I think for what we needed, I like what Kelly Olynyk brings to the table you know, improvement from this guy, this guy, and this guy. But I, I think I was just being an optimistic fan. So, so last question about the Pistons before we we spend about ten minutes around the NBA. So you and you kind of answered it right there. You don't think there is going to be the strategic tanking and giving away games that I think we all would admit we saw last year. You you don't necessarily foresee that though. I I that's that's more of a hope, right? I I don't know exactly how the season's going to go, but like. Like I, my my hope is that Cade plays like most of the games he's absolutely like positively healthy for, um, just because like they he's a rookie and he's a very good rookie, um, but he's a he's a still a rookie and he needs to like learn and experience the, uh, like like Sadiq Sadiq and uh, Killian and Isaiah Stewart were all playing uh, games at the end of last season because they were rookies right, um, and so it's it's just vital to get that experience for young dudes. Um, and so, like, I, uh, I think he plays, and I think that that's good enough to make them slightly more competitive than they were at the end of, like, last season. Like, Jeremy Grant is kind of the swing guy there. Um, you know, I, he he was hurt. We did, uh, uh, I, He, like, legitimately tweaked his ankle, or he, he had a legitimate in- injury at first, and I think normally he could have played like the last like five or so games and it just like didn't make much sense i remember there was a there's like a game in philadelphia where it's like he hadn't started in like 10 games and you could kind of feel like the nba was like okay like that we've had enough of this and so he started and played like you know you know 25 minutes or whatever and was like okay that's good enough but uh so he's kind of the swing guys like whether or not they're like all out or not like all out but whether they're like turning the knob to try and you know quote unquote tank and affect draft position or whether they're like more uh more uh obsessed with getting these guys the like on ball reps and the cohesion and the, and the chemistry like we talked about earlier uh playing together to to build upon for even like next season yeah and so i i think it'll like you said it'll, it'll depend on how the season goes real quick wes um and this is why i appreciate this guy and so much Giannis is probable per espn so he he came through with that looked it up for us here as we're recording Giannis is probable per espn as we record this monday night and then real quick before we go around the nba just want to mention save Lee, Luca Garza, Isaiah Livers, all um, to the Motor City Cruise. I don't think that surprises anybody. Don't necessarily think we need to get into it. Maybe Saban Lee surprises some people, but 
those three guys all down with the Motor City Crews now as anticipated. So we got about 10 minutes here, Laz. Um, uh, let's go around the NBA a little bit and talk about some things that maybe surprise us or some storylines around the association and the rule change and do we like it and what we've seen from that. So first, I just want to get your initial thoughts when I throw some stats at you. And I don't know if you looked through the outline, so you may have already seen these, but just your surprise or what you thought about some of these stats. I just went through some of the league leaders in the NBA and points, rebounds, blocks, some of those things. So let's start off here with Ja Morant averaging 28.7 points per game, second in the association. Does that What's your level of surprise? You can give us a scale 1 to 10 or something like that if you want. You don't have to play that game if you don't want to. I don't care either way. But what's your level of surprise with John Morant second in the league in scoring? So that, that's like a 2. I'm literally currently watching Denver and Memphis play right now. And uh, like John Morant is one of the most fun guys to watch in <laughs> yes, the league. Yes, he is. And so I watched the Laker game. I watched the Warrior game. It's like I, so I I knew what he's been capable of. Like when they've won games, and it really looks like he's just taken a leap in terms of like what he knows he's capable of on an NBA court. And it's it's been amazing to see. Like Jaw Jaw's a super fun dude to watch. And it's like he's and like Memphis is still. I think they, I think they're still like at 500 right now. It, I don't know if it turns into like they won they won the uh, Warrior game, they won the Laker game. They are up three, they're up four on Denver right now, and so like you know maybe that'll be their their third or fourth like pretty good win. But uh, like I I I don't know if necessarily Memphis is going to put themselves in position to, like win a first round series. But like I do know that John Morant's like he's definitely like elevating himself into like legitimate all-star consideration right like I th- he's a guy I think of as like if he doesn't make all-star team it's like a legitimate snub and not just a like oh like you know he he's he, like he's a fun he's a fun guy but like his team hasn't like won enough and he hasn't put up enough counting stats to make all-star is like a, it's a legitimate like oh no like he he could could be an all-star this year Absolutely. He, he is. He's so much fun to watch. He's so exciting. And I'm surprised you're not watching Monday Night Football. We got we got some big fantasy football implications in that game going on right no, now. No, we don't. We're, <laughs> I'm down like 50 points. Like I could talk about how poorly this fantasy season has gone for me across two leagues for like another 30 minutes. <laughs> so we probably shouldn't even get in it. Okay. I, I just felt good because so for me and Laz are playing each other in the Pistons Fantasy Football League and I have Daniel Jones left and he has Kadarius Tony. So I figured I'm good because any stats that go to Tony are should come from Daniel Jones, obviously, unless there was an injury. But I I don't feel su- too sorry for you because I lost Derrick Henry today for the rest of the season. So Oh you uh, that's right. You have Derrick Henry. That's unfortunate. That's funny. I played I played the guy who had Derrick Henry in both leagues this week. Yeah, you didn't mention to people that you're up twenty six points on me already yeah so, so that, yeah so i I, th- I think you're good bryce yeah and ku <laughs> already swiped up adrian peterson as soon as they signed him so i don't know what i'm gonna do this this whole fantasy football thing just makes it let's get back to basketball okay yeah, let's, please please <laughs> miles bridges averaging 25 and a half points per game number 10 in the nba and I, I believe this was sunday night when i looked at it so it's probably going to change by the time people listen to the episode so i live in north carolina and i told you pre-podcast I've not watched a single Hornets game this year. I will turn in, I will tune into the Hornets like later just because the, because they're my local team, I like always have access to them. Um that does surprise me. It will, like I I knew it because I listened to the Bun and Cardigan this morning and so I knew like James was excited about Miles Bridges and so like I knew Miles Bridges was 
playing well. I didn't know he was averaging 25 a night. That's pretty impressive. I I would be really curious to see like what what is that entailed? Is he just like shooting like 60% from 3 or something? Like, so he is 51% from the field. He's at 24.6 now. So these have changed just a little bit. He's a little bit lower than 10th. He's 37% from 3. Um, on almost eight attempts a game. He's making almost three a game and 86.7% from the free throw line. He's all, all, also averaging 7.7 rebounds. Like, I mean, it, it's just like, it's most improved player type numbers. And that Charlotte team is a fun, exciting team right now. No, definitely. Oh, wow. That, that is really impressive. And like, yeah, did, and they didn't, oh, that's right. They didn't offer him an extension, did they? Correct, so, because yeah, I had somebody text me about like, is, is that someone the Pistons are gonna try could, could try to go after? So I mean, I I I wouldn't hate that. I know I I have one college roommate who's been like a huge fan of Miles Bridges since uh since day one, and who would who would be like who I think would like literally go out and purchase Pistons season tickets if they signed <laughs> Miles Bridges. Um. Okay. As we, we gotta keep going here, Harrison Barnes. 23.3 points per game. He's now number 20 in the league, and he also averages 10.3 rebounds a game. So he's averaging a 20 and 10 right now. That is also surprising, but I knew Harrison Barnes was having a nice start to the year because he got the shout-out in Zach Lowe's 10 things. <laughs> I, I don't know. Like I, I used to really like those Warriors teams, watching them play, and I, he was always the scapegoat for those teams, so I kind of have a little love-hate with Harrison Barnes. Um, but good for him. I mean, those are big-time numbers um, and very impressive. How about DeJounte Murray, San Antonio Spurs? What if I told you he averages 18 points, 8.5 rebounds, 8.8 assists, almost a triple-double for DeJounte Murray? I would be super impressed by the 8.5 assists, right? Like, the... The thing, so okay, this is gonna this is gonna be a long thing. So I, uh, the at Detroit Bad Boys, we host a mock off season every off season, and a couple off seasons ago, I think I was the Pelicans, and Dejounte was the point guard I like targeted for them to get in the off season because uh, he is one of and, like this is an underrated thing, and I think this is still like statistically carried over. Like at the time, he was one of the league's best transition point guards. Like uh, between the his ability to to like create transition opportunities with his defense, and in terms of like uh, conversion and efficiency, and uh, and even in terms of like uh, distribution, he was one of the league's best transition point guards. And so I was like, I want that guy to play with Zion. And so like that's why I targeted him from for the Pelicans. But uh, no, I wouldn't. I would not be surprised by that at all. Dejounte has been. Um, I've always been. I'm not like surprised he doesn't get enough love because he, you know, he plays in San Antonio, and he, you know, doesn't have the sexiest game. But uh, that's really that's a really good player, and I've always just been like really impressed with him. Yeah, absolutely. So two more. They're going to be from the same team. A team, for whatever reason, it kind of would just happened by accident, but we talked a lot about this offseason on the podcast, and that's the Washington Wizards, who are 5-1 and one right now, a team I thought was interesting, and again, I'm not right about much, but so far, haven't been too wrong about this, but what if I told you Kyle Kuzma averages 12 rebounds a game? I'd be shocked by that. That is fact. That's, that's shocking. <laughs> Crazy, right? 15.5 and 12 rebounds a game for Kyle Kuzma so far. Perimeter-based Kyle Kuzma is getting down low and averaging 12 rebounds a game. That's insane. And then how about his teammate Montrez Harrell averaging 20 and 10 right now for the Wizards? 
he starting? Uh, is, he averaging, is he averaging 20 and 10 off the bench is my question because that that would be ridiculous. So as much as I talk about the Wizards, I can honestly tell you I haven't watched a game yet this year. So, um, so They had the nice overtime win against Boston. I was yeah, watching that uh, yeah. earlier today. Um, I forget. I think it was Matt... I think it was Matt Moore of uh, Action Network who said that the Wizards had really big, uh, like, 2019 Clippers vibes. You remember that 2019 Clippers team? It was like Shea, Gilgis Alexander's rookie year. They took the Warriors to six games in the first round series um, and were just like a a collection of dudes that were, like, way better than the sum of their parts. And, like, I thought that was an interesting uh, parallel to draw with this Washington Wizards team who's also kind of a collection of dudes. It's like Bradley Beal and a collection of dudes. Um, and right now, like you've got them on the sheet. They're at the top of the East in five and one. And so it's like, yeah, I, did, I didn't see that coming. Spencer Dinwiddie, Caldwell Pope, Daniel Gafford. Yeah, everybody like. they got in the Russell Westbrook trade. Yeah, yeah right? all the, like, So Harold's only started two games, according to basketball reference. He's averaging 20 and 10 off the bench. That's ridiculous. I'm telling you, there's some... Yeah, so Wes just said ESPN has Gafford as the starter. So he's been... I think those two starts probably... I think Gafford got injured. So that's probably why he's gotten the two starts. Okay, okay. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I mean... I I like if I was if I was an Eastern Conference playoff team, I wouldn't be like afraid to play the Wizards. But like they're... They are probably going to... If they keep this up, they're going to make the play-in in a year where like people... It wasn't like... It wasn't super reasonable to expect that of them, right? Absolutely. I, I think they're a team, again, I don't think you're super scared of that team, but if you end up having to play them in the first round, there's pr- at least a little bit of worry that like, okay, is ba- is, has Bradley Bill matured into a guy that can win? And is, I think I did see a quote about him and playing defense or something like that. I don't know the exact quote and all that, but it's like... It's, has, it's definitely like you're playing them in a playoff series and it's like 2-2 and you're going back home for game five and your media people are like, why is this game? Why is like, why are they won two games already? Like, what's wrong with you guys that you can't beat this like Washington Wizards team that like only has Bradley Beal? It's like enormous. Like, why? Why is it game five vibes? Absolutely. So one final thing, and then I'll let you get out of here, Laz. And that's the rule change in the NBA. And we're just gonna we're not gonna get into a whole bunch of it, but just in general, what have your thoughts been about this rule with the I don't even know what they call it, but not calling the the, the fouls when the offense does the you know out of abnormal offensive movements or whatever they want to call it. Do you like it? Do you feel bad for any of these quote unquote stars who have you know complained a little bit and struggled? the flow of the game in general. And then I think there has been a trickle-down effect to other areas of foul calling. And so just what are your thoughts overall on all of that? I'm a big fan of it philosophically because I think, like, over the last, like, two or three years, you had seen, like, literally historic offensive efficiency numbers from, like, multiple teams during the regular season. And so I do think something was... Like, the, the league was due to, like, turn the knob a little bit more towards defense rather than offense. And so I think this, like, this was a pretty welcome change in my mind. Uh, the, like, the, the foul in, like, the foul in particular I'm thinking of was the one, like, Pat Beverly got called on. Whereas, like, you just kind of, like, dribble and wander in front of the guy and stop. And then he, like, you know, he runs into you and, like, that's a, like, that used to be a defensive foul. 
and now it's an offensive foul. It's like, that is perfect, right? Because, like, that's not a basketball play, right? And it's it's not even, it's not like snaking a pick and roll to put a guy in jail. It, uh, like, because that's like, uh, because, like, the def- defenses can still collapse, right? Like, you, there are still options for the defense to, to defend a guy, like, from behind. But, like, if you're just initiating contact contact by like making a guy run into you like that's like that's football that's not really basketball and so i'm i was i'm been pleased with the defensive changes and the rule change so far um i'm not worried about like the level of offense around the league like other people are but uh but like i definitely think that's contributed to it absolutely yeah i mean these guys are going to figure it out they're really really talented they'll adjust their games they'll find the next just like they found a way to manipulate this they'll find the next thing in the defense that they can manipulate and they're going to be just fine yeah and you do you remember uh the olympics like yeah 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 so it's like it was it was really it was kind of funny to watch uh like this all-star like these all these nba stars uh go overseas go like play fiba basketball and like start doing some of the stuff to draw fouls and like international refs being like well that's not a foul like what are you doing and then like having to adjust their games and like eventually they won gold but like for that first like two or three games it was pretty funny to watch like dame lillard like kind of flail and be like it was like what like where's the whistle it's like that those aren't fouls anymore i wonder how much of an impact the olympics had on some of this like I think this this specific thing we're talking about was going to happen anyway, but I think some of the other um, whistles being less, I think, is a carryover from the Olympics. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think that's the correlation for what some people are talking about as far as the other contact that's being allowed on drives and finishes at the rim is I do think it's a carryover from the Olympics. I may be way off base there, but I'm glad you brought that up because I do think that's part of it. Yeah, I think um, the next thing for the league is like, make sure that we can always have like the uh daniel tice aaron baines like see under the rim seal for for driving guards it's like make make sure that's like never an offensive foul like that that works i'm surprised more teams don't like institute that rule and and teach that to their bigs that that works far far too often for it not to be real absolutely so laz i know i got to get you out of here get you back to your family i thank you so much for taking the time to come on i definitely want to have you back and will have you back as long as you're willing and i just want to give you a chance not that everybody doesn't know where you're at and who you are but give them a chance to uh give you a chance to let them know where they can find you on twitter the podcast and everything else you got going on well no first i got to thank you for having me on twice before i've had you on once bryce and we're definitely gonna have to rectify that Uh, not anytime yeah thank you so much for having me uh you know obviously people can find me on twitter uh at last chance that's at l-a-z-c-h-a-n-c-e uh, I host the Detroit Bad Boys podcast, which is in like the, the same podcast feed you're listening to this one in. So just like download both episodes and you're good. And uh, yeah, that's uh, I'm doing I'm doing less work on Detroit Bad Boys. Obviously, chances uh, chances making uh, editing and like uh, creation work a little bit difficult uh, at the moment. But I'm hopeful uh, by like by like the time uh, you know next season rolls around, I'll hopefully be back to full strength and uh, able to you know, churn out the articles again. Absolutely. He's, I'm sure that he's more than worth it, but we definitely miss your content over there and I know it'll be back soon. And again, thank you so much. Thank you for everything you've done for me and Motor City Hoops as well. I want to thank Wes Davenport. Um, he comes in clutch for me every episode, pre post episode. I, I always want to make sure I take the time to thank him. And I want to thank all oh, yeah, of you. Shout out Wes. Thanks yeah. Wes. 
Yeah, yeah. He gave us some stuff uh, during the episode, helped us keep keep us on track. So I appreciate that a lot. So I also want to thank all of you for listening to and supporting Motor City uh, Hoops and all the content I'm creating. Join me Thursday night, Friday morning, as I will do an instant recap and analysis analysis episode of the Pistons game versus the Sixers, which is something I'll do when I'm able to watch the game live. Then we'll be back at the beginning of next week with our regularly scheduled weekly episode drop, that episode with Rod Beard of the Detroit News, discussing and analyzing any and all things Detroit Pistons. I'm having an absolute blast doing this, and I hope you're enjoying it with me. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Motor City Hoops podcast. Please give us a rating, drop a review, and subscribe. For more content, including video breakdowns, make sure you follow us at Motor City Hoops on Twitter. I hope you join us next episode. Until then, be safe and be well.